Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of I Wrote You a Pilot. I'm the host, AJ Schrader, and I have currently written over an hour of uh, potentially binge-worthy pilots. And yet, television hotshots at the network haven't even sent me an email. I, yeah, before you ask, I, I have have checked the spam folder. I have hit every every link in that thing, and now I am even more poor than when I started this. But, you know, today's another day in which I write 20 pages of script and send it out into the uncaring world of the internet. My guest today is Rankin Willard, an incredible artist as well as a hilarious crowd favorite improviser at the Idiot Box Comedy Club in Greensboro, North Carolina. He's also the first guest of the show who's not in my sketch comedy group, Mon Frere, so I am... I'm really breaking new ground here. Uh, let's uh, talk a little television with him and then jump into the show titled Kith and Rankin. It's a play on, it's a play on Kith and Kin. It's, uh, old, it's an old phrase. It's uh, from... Yeah, let's do this. It's a pilot. Wrote you a pilot. A pilot I wrote for you. You, you, I'd rather not talk no, about television. Well, too bad. <laughs> it's the most important thing in the world. Mm-hmm. But I would say, of my guests so far, you have taste in shows that I have not been exposed to as oh. readily. So thank you for that. Well, happy to help. I'm the person who constantly recommends shows to people that I know they will never watch. Uh, so I I'm saw, happy you got to watch some I, of them. I saw that as a special skill on your pre-interview form. It's not super marketable <laughs> as skills go, but you, you get what you get. You listed some shows that I have that I should have seen as some of your favorites, such as Gilmore Girls uh, and Will and Grace are two shows that I've seen episodes here and there of, but I never, I never did a deep dive into. Right. They're two shows that I would say benefit from knowing the whole series as a whole, that the, they have great episodes. Will and Grace has one of my favorite single sitcom episodes, but once you know the whole story, I feel like both of those shows, especially Gilmore Girls has a lot of deeper layers that if you're, if you're, not willing to sit down for seven <laughs> seasons, which I understand. <laughs> Got other things to do. It's um, It was pointed out on the Gilmore Guys <laughs> podcast that a lot of Gilmore Girls is about grandparents and the insurance uh, business, uh-huh. which when you're marketing television shows <laughs> on the WB in the early 2000s. Not how you sell shit? I mean, I don't know how to sell a television show, so uh, I'm not going to get down on her. Well, what, what are you doing on this podcast then, Ray? <laughs> You're my right, great I'm hope. supposed to help. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the thing I mo- no- noticed amongst like all the shows that you chose, which, so you, you had a you had a nice list of, you had Frasier, mm-hmm. you had Gilmore Girls, you had uh, 30 Rock, um, Please Like Me. Mm-hmm. All, all the shows kind of have, uh, so most of them are very cross-generational. Sure, yeah. Uh, we're, and, I, and 30 Rock also has kind of the sacrifice of a caregiver in terms of Liz Lemon's relationship with Jenna and Tracy. Yeah, by the end of that show, they made that uh, metaphor quite clear. Right. <laughs> uh, but the outlier in that regard is the IT crowd. Yeah. So what is it that draws you to that show in particular? The puzzle-like quality of the plot where most of the other shows aren't surprise heavy 
mm-hmm. but the IT crowd, when the camera turns and is on a visual joke, I just they got a lot of visual jokes. Do. Yeah, and I just love that so much. Cool. So uh, let me let me pitch the show I wrote for okay, you to you. Okay. So <laughs> so uh, imagine like. That, that kind of uh, caregiver relationship, kind of like Frasier, you know, mm. taken in his debt. But it's uh, it's set in in that kind of cross period between the Gilded Age and the Progressive Era. Okay, where, where do I sign? Yeah, okay, right. And mm-hmm. and the dad is kind of like the boss from the IT crowd where he's just an absurd, absurd human being. Perfect. Awesome. All yes. right. So <laughs> let's jump into the pilot. We open on your standard Gilded Aid mansion. A captain of industry, Kith Willard, sits at a lavish desk reading a newspaper. His servant, Frisbee, enters wearing a pillowcase, like a house elf from Harry Potter, but is almost definitely a human man. Frisbee! Oh, thank goodness you're here. I need you to teleport over to famed muckraker Ida Tarbell's home and inform her that her famous muckraking has just made her a very powerful enemy. Master Kith! As I've tried to remind you, I am a human man and not a mythical servant creature. I do not have the ability to teleport. Well, I find it fairly unbelievable that you and I are the same species, Frisbee. Sir, you're unfortunately confusing your belief in social Darwinism with actual Darwinism yet again. Well, you best watch your mouth, Frisbee, else you'll never be rewarded with the sock necessary to grant your freedom. Shall I take the car over to Ida, sir? Oh, like I'd allow a goblin to borrow my $300 automobile. You should walk. Very good, sir. Also, your son is here. Oh, excellent. Send him in. Frisbee opens the door to reveal our hero, Rankin, standing on the other side. He's carrying an easel and a box of paints. His face appears unenthusiastic. Oh, Rankin, my boy. It is, uh, it's been too long since you've come to see me. Well, I generally avoid it since you're a horrible person, but you had one of your goons (laughs) drag me here. Uh Aha! Ah! Always with the jest, you artist types. Uh, I trust your mother is still dead from typhoid? Yeah, that tends to not change. Why exactly did you want to see me, Dad? Kith tosses the paper he was previously reading at his son. This newfangled photographic journalism is making it look like the conditions in my factories are inhumane. Rankin looks at the paper. None of the people in this photo have thumbs. Exactly! Which is why I need you to craft a painting as a rebuttal. But I want everyone to have thumbs. Loads of thumbs. I want, I want... I want like I want like six goddamn thumbs per hand. Oh, uh, but but make sure they have the other fingers too. Right, because otherwise people would get suspicious. Indeed. So you'll do it? Yes, yes. I, I mean, I'll never respect what you do, but I will barely pay you for it. It's a tempting offer, but I think I'll have to pass. Oh, you're a shrewd negotiator, son. You you get that from me. Your potentiality as an asymptomatic typhoid carrier you get from your mother, but the business sense all me. Just then, Frisbee enters. Excuse me, sir, but a telegram arrived for you just as I was preparing to leave. Well, don't just stand there, Frisbee. Use your, use your oddly powerful telekinetic abilities and fly it over. Frisbee shakes his head and walks the telegram over to Kith, who rips the telegram out of Frisbee's hand and begins reading it to himself. Oh, uh, let's see. Blah, 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 blah. Scathing expose. Blah, 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 blah. Sherman antitrust. Stop. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Conniving business partner. Stop. Oh, 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 oh,
What did it say? Well, it appears I have lost everything. Oh. Yes. Who you uh, don't happen to have a spare room at your place, do you? Uh. And boom, we cut to the theme song. We got bored with Henry Ford's assembly. Said Sailor V to Carnegie's railways. Stilted by the Vanderbilt sea vessels. And couldn't stand for Stanford's for living wage. All those guys were bad, but don't compare to Dad. It's time to begin. It's Kith and Rankin. Ah, oh, shit. Yeah, that's a good, that's some good theming right there. All right. <laughs> we return from that delightful romp as Rankin walks along the shipyards besides his time and dimension traveling best bud AJ, who is scraping the bottom of a severely overcooked biscuit. Rankin looks out on the ships. You know, I used to avoid the shipyard. I was terrified that the rhythmic percussion of the everyday activities in this area would embolden someone to spontaneously sing along. Yeah, aside from the rampant corruption in politics, the incredibly dangerous worker conditions, and the blatant racism which permeates even our most progressive policies, impromptu musical theater is probably my biggest fear of this time period. Right. I mean, just because you've successfully pulled off a work stoppage does not mean you're ready for a synchronized pot of bourree. I mean, and yet here you are in this potential powder keg of untrained voices instead of your lavish apartment. The city did recently mandate that I receive at least one window, and I haven't even gotten to look through it yet. I can't believe you let him move in I, after so actively distancing your lifestyle from him. Well, he's my dad, and technically he owns the building. Apparently, when rich people lose everything, they're allowed to keep whatever asset seems most comedically depressing in order to further the story. Well, that is some quality writing on the part of whoever came up with that law. AJ turns to the camera. He stares deeply at it. His eyes are raw and unblinking. Nothing in his face indicates he was, in fact, the writer of this pilot and therefore the writer of the law. Because this dude, he's got, he's got like an amazing poker face. He, he turns back towards Franken. Still, it's going to put a real damper on our union meetings. As much as I love you and Robert getting drunk at my place while I attempt to work, I feel the term union meetings is a tad disingenuous. Either way, your dad being there is going to put a damper on my otherwise bold spirit. AJ chucks his biscuit to a passing seagull, who in return drops him some anachronistic bag of Doritos. The perfect snack for the bold. You know, if they ever wanted to sponsor this show, that'd be cool. The conversation continues as if nothing had happened. Well, we're both going to have to deal with it, unless, of course, you can get famed muckraker Ida Tarbell to recant on basic facts. At the very least, I'll have an interaction with her. Great, that's something for you to do. Mm -hmm. And rather than actually deal with my problems, I'll just lean into being emotionally stunted and take to the sea. Rankin starts to uh, starts up a walkway towards a boat. Oh, oh come on, there, there's plenty of ways to avoid your dad without seeing the world. I mean, check out this flyer for a garment job. AJ tosses the Doritos to yet another passing seagull, who in exchange drops him an old-timey job posting flyer, which AJ immediately hands to Rankin. Well, that's odd. This incredibly low-paid job appears to have the same address as my apartment. Rankin, read some more. Ask for Rankin's dad. Oh my god, my dad's setting up a sweatshop in our now communal residence. We cut to a close-up of the flyer. Next to the words, ask for Rankin's dad, there's a drawing of Kith giving a thumbs up. Except he has like six goddamn thumbs! 
I can't let him do this. Rank and AJ start to rush off to action. As they leave, a fisherman drops a box. Immediately afterwards, a fish is tossed between stalls. An anchor splashes in the water. Within moments, a steady rhythm has formed full of claps, calls, and whistles. A young sailor steps off a dock with a song in his heart ready to find adventure and love in the big city. Oh, so many things in this world. No. <laughs> Rankin smacks the shit at him. Cut to Kith and Rankin's apartment. Two Australian immigrants with questionable accents sit sewing in a dank apartment with one singular poorly constructed but freshly installed window. You know, I was expecting a far greater welcome when we arrived in this country. Right. I mean, sure, the ability to vote in private is all the rage these days, but it's like no one even cares the concept was pioneered in Australia. Personally, I prefer to do everything in private. It's probably due to our island mentality. Actually, Australia's a continent, not an island. Hey, there's a difference. Well, an island by definition is smaller than a continent. Since we are already a continent, we can't be smaller than ourselves. Oh, yeah, what about Greenland, though? Well, Greenland is an island because it doesn't have its own tectonic plate. Having your own tectonic plate is very important when it comes to being a continent. Hey, right, but it's bigger than the continent of Australia, which means it can't be an island. Hmm, you're right. I guess maybe Greenland doesn't exist. Kith enters. Oh, oh, how are those ascots coming? I thought we were making cravats. Oh, I, I didn't realize there was a difference. Don't get me started. We'd be here all day. Well, uh, whatever you're making, hurry it along. I've been fairly lenient with you the first 12 hours of the workday, but I expect higher productivity for the remaining eight. Rankin enters and slams the door. In doing so, he inadvertently cranks the shoddily constructed window. Well, there goes my potential whimsy. Uh, well, calm down, boy. You know you know, any display of emotion from another male makes me incredibly uncomfortable? I had one rule when you moved in, Dad. Don't turn my apartment into a sweatshop. Oh, uh, well, to be fair, that one rule actually encompasses a lot of rules. It takes all sorts of regulations to make working conditions even mildly humane. So, in truth, you, you are... You are asking quite a lot of me, son. Uh, one of the Australians slowly raises his hand. Sorry to interrupt, uh... But would you like us to wait in the hallway? I, I would have called it a corridor. All hallways are corridors, but not all corridors are hallways. <laughs> ah, so it's kind of a rectangle and square situation. We need to have more depth than uh, this. I agree. <laughs> oh, you can leave immigrants, but take your machines with you. After all, I'm not paying you almost nothing for actual nothing. <laughs> The Australians both attempt to lift their extremely heavy early 1900 sewing machines. Rankin walks over to help relieve their struggle. Actually, guys, leave the machines. You're taking a break. The Australians set down the machines. How now you tell my employees what to do in your house? Take the machines. They pick them up. Leave the machines. They set them down. Take them. They pick them up. Leave them. They set them down. Take them. Leave. Uh, how about we, uh, we take one machine? Yeah, a little bit of compromise. Sometimes it's best when everyone feels like they're losing. Yeah, slow steps of change and all that. Yeah, we'll just leave you two staring awkwardly at each other. The Australians work together to lift a single machine and carry it out as Rankin and Kith stare awkwardly at each other. Cut to exterior, a street corner. Your typical street urchin, Jack, twirls around with the gleeful enthusiasm of a malnourished... Fucking <laughs> God damn it! My own words. Uh, Jack is—he's—he's—he's he's, he's a sickly child, but he's still got a lot of enthusiasm, you know, like any kid who doesn't eat and has a full-time job. Keep going. Extra, extra, and antitrust laws now in effect. 
Most robber barons hardly heard it all due to years of already accumulated wealth. One guy has to move in with son. AJ approaches this new newspaper salesman. Uh, excuse me, kiddo, but you don't know where I can find the lady who wrote the article that helped topple this ne'er-do-well, do you? Huh, you mean famed muckraker Ida Tarbell? Of course I do. Everyone in the newspaper biz knows that. Ah, good. I often encounter obstacles in my various quests, but looks like smooth sailing this time <laughs> around. Sorry, mister. As much as I'd like to help deviate from your standard narrative, if, if you want to know where to find Ida... It's gonna cost you. All right. As far as obstacles go, that's still not too bad. Here's two $20 bills and one $10 bill I've been carrying around. That's $50. Give me 1,000 newspapers. Oh, wow. Thanks, mister. But that wasn't the sort of cost I meant. Nosies assemble! Suddenly, children appear out of nowhere. They walk out of alleys, flip out of windows, and you crawl out of trash cans in typical, you know, children's style. Oh my god, you're preparing for a dance number, aren't you? That's right, and if you ever want to find famed muckraker Ida Tarbell, I'm going to need some nuanced critique on 16 bars. <sighs> Eight bars, and I still expect my thousand newspapers. I can work with that. And a one, and a two, and a three. Music kicks in, and newsies begin dancing exactly as skillfully as you would expect of malnourished children who have also have full-time jobs. Almost got through at that time, right? AJ shakes his head at the poorly choreographed number as we cut to commercial. Today's episode is being brought to you by James Spencer, who understands that poor artists must engage in an Ouroboros to feel like they have any meaning whatsoever. You should also check out his podcast, I've Never Seen Blade, with co-host Jacob Moore. Most episodes are still behind the paywall, but uh, you can find one or two on the YouTube and see whether or not these two men have seen the 1998 classic Blade since last they recorded. If you'd like to give me money, I'm desperately awaiting tips at US of AJ on Venmo, or you can do the absolute minimum and give me a five-star review on iTunes. You can even go below the minimum and uh, just let the world continue to be a garbage fire by doing absolutely nothing. That, that, that choice is yours. All right, let's get back to the goddamn shit show. Uh, does anyone care? Fuck it. All right, we return from that genuine plea to help me feel like the void I'm screaming into has at least a few other suckers trapped in there with me to see Rankin has made some elaborate strike signs with machine-like precision out of cut paper. He is handing them to the two confused Australian workers in the corridor slash hallway. You know, Rankin, this whole strike thing is pretty neat. I'll say. Signs are way more fun than making nebulous fashion accessories. The conditions he had you working in should be criminal. All right. Although, I mean, we're, we're kind of still in those same conditions, though, you know, since we're standing in the same corridor slash hallway we were, we were just working in. Fair enough, but your emotional state is very different. He's right, Mark. Plus, I bet we'll get paid way more for this striking job than we were making in this corridor hallway before. Well, no. You don't actually get paid for striking, but I'm sure my father wasn't actually planning on paying anyway, since he doesn't actually own anything beside this building. Oh, gotcha. So after we strike, though, he'll, he'll probably give us the building, right? Well, no. That's also doubtful, because then we'd have no place to live. Mm. Oh, right. Uh, so, so we'll stay in the same conditions and have no chance of getting paid either way. But instead we'll get, um, what exactly do we get? Yeah. We get my father to start understanding he can't treat people this way. Uh, that, that sounds a little more like 
Like, he's getting something. The Australians set down their strike sides. Yeah, he gets to have an epiphany. That hardly seems fair. Yeah, I mean, I've already got a moral compass. And a regular compass. Eh? Yeah. Kind of sounds like we'd be better off not working and not striking. Yeah, let, let's go back to the docks and see if any more seagulls serendipitously drop postings on us for jobs. <laughs> they start to exit down the hallway slash corridor. Wait, you guys can't leave yet. I can't tell you. We've got a compass. It shows us where we're going when combined with a map and a reference point. Also, got contracting fibers in our muscles. Which allows us to move by generating force thanks to the protein actin and... What's the other one? It's... Myosin. The Australian <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> The Australians continue to banter as Rankin is left alone with his well-constructed protest signs. Guess I'm out of options. I'll have to deal with my dad myself. Cut to! Exterior, a dark alley. AJ walks down a dimly lit street, still shaking off the Newsies dance routine. Oh, Jesus, just because people clap for a chorus line does not mean they're enjoying the chorus line. Suddenly, there's a noise in the shadows. Uh, uh famed muckraker Ida Tarbell, I is that you? From out of the shadows walks famed muckraker Ida Tarbell, preferably voiced by Holly Hunter if she's available. <laughs> How'd you find me? Uh, a double threat claiming to be a triple threat. I assume you're here to seek some kind of vengeance? Actually, I'm here for a friend. Uh, you, you published an expose about his father's factory? I've raked a lot of muck in my days. You're gonna need to be a little more specific than that. Well, uh, no one in the factory had thumbs. Again, not helpful. Workplace-related thumb mispla misplacement is surprisingly common in this era. Uh, right, right. Well, uh, he was financially ruined as a result of it? Ah, yes. The one rich person an exposed scandal legitimately affected. How is Kith? Well, he's he's still an asshole, but uh, he's, he's making his son's life a living hell, so I, I thought maybe... Uh... You thought maybe old fame muckraker Ida Tarbell might compromise her journalistic integrity and derake a little muck. Ida's arm flies out at AJ from across the alley as if she were a woman made of elastic and pins AJ to the wall. Holy shit, that's... incredible. AJ once again turns to the camera, his face emotionless, never letting on if he's aware of the reference to Holly Hunter's voice acting role in the famed Pixar film. I'd hate to play hold him against this guy. He's got a... man, that's a good poker face, this guy. Alright, he turns back to Ida. The fact that you would think for even a moment that I would recant a true story shows me you know nothing about famed muckraker Ida Tarbell. My superhuman elasticity, which also grants me minor shape-shifting abilities, is perhaps the least impressive thing about me. I graduated head of my high school class and went on to study biology at Allegheny College, where I was the only woman in my class. The book, The History of the Standard Oil Company, has not only been heralded as a masterpiece of investigative journalism, but the single most influential book on business of all time. I do currently have some misguided anti-suffragette views. But, but I think future scholars might later speculate that's a result of me projecting my own inner turmoil related to the rigid gender norms of the era. Chances are my opinions will evolve based on the results of the movement and it's of value revealed in retrospect. Because not only am I famed muckraker Ida Tarbell, I am famed historian Ida Tarbell. And historians, we deal in facts. Ida drops AJ from the wall. She then transforms her body into a parachute and lets the wind carry her away as AJ watches in amazement. Man, I hope I get to put all that information I just soaked up into a creative project someday. <laughs> AJ starts to walk away uh, when suddenly a mysterious elf-like voice catches his ear. 
Excuse me, sir, but I think I might be able to help you with your problem. AJ turns to see Frisbee, the human man and not a house elf from the first scene. <laughs> AJ gives a look of intrigue. Cut to interior, the dank apartment. Kith is sitting in front of a mirror, holding one hand behind his other hand to make it look like one of them has an extra thumb as Rankin enters the apartment. Well, Dad, they're gone. They decided you weren't even worth striking against. Oh, really? Oh, well, two failed businesses in one day. Not my best average. Now, if you wouldn't mind, uh, be a good lad and just gather up the cravats they made, uh, establish some kind of storefront, uh, discern a price point that will result in maximum profits, hire replacement workers, and then buy up everyone else making cravats as well as all the companies involved in the creation of raw materials and transport of said cravats, and then repeat that on and on for the next ten years or so. Well, Is that it? Well, uh, if you wouldn't mind finding out where all the missing thumbs are going, I... I think there might be an untapped market here. Kith goes back to playing in the mirror. Dad, either you stop running wild schemes out of this apartment or you find yourself a new place to live. Oh, an ultimatum! Well, oh, well, maybe that is for the best. Uh, I mean, today has, honestly, it's, it's really made me doubt myself. I, I think that's the closest thing to humility I've ever seen you express. Well... I used to assume I was predestined for success, uh, but now that I've lost everything twice... Maybe, maybe. it was just luck the first time. Well, I, mean, I was going to say maybe I, I drank from a magical stream when I was younger that made me superior to others, and I just need to return to the stream every ten years or something. But yeah, I mean, yes, luck, I guess, goes in with that a little bit, and uh, perhaps, perhaps my luck has run out. Just then, the door gets kicked open, and on the other side stands Frisbee. AJ stands slightly behind him, confused. Hello there, Master Kith. It looks like your luck has just ran out. Oh, Frisbee! I was just... I, that's what I was saying! Uh, oh, you didn't use your elven mind reading tricks on me, did you? I'm a human man. I still can't believe that! Frisbee pulls out a razor from under his pillowcase. What the hell, AJ? Uh, sorry, dude. He said he'd take care of your dad, and then I asked zero follow-up questions before leading him here. I was actually... It was it was a really actually a fairly awkward walkover with the science and everything. Frisbee charges at Kith. No, he almost learned a lesson. <laughs> Rankin jumps in front of his father, taking the blow and knocking him to the ground. Oh, oh my God! Oh, my son! Oh, what what have you done? Oh, if oh, oh what have I done? Oh, if only I had treated my goblin servant like a real human, you wouldn't have had to sacrifice yourself like this. Oh, I have finally learned the error of my ways. Well, that's good. Uh, but actually, I'm fine, other than this small nick. Rankin stands from the floor, uh, where there's a, and there's a small dot of blood on his neck. What? But how? Did you also drink from a magical stream and somehow gain immortality? Is, is that our family's destiny to be everlasting? Actually, I think it has to do with the, the razor blade Frisbee was using to try and murder you. It has some kind of a shielding around it. Yeah, it's one of those new razors made by King Camp Gillette. I thought maybe you'd be interested in helping me sell them, Master Kith. What about the whole, your luck has run out thing? That's just part of my sales pitch. In order to show just how safe these things are, I attack potential customers. Sorry you got in the way there, but in a way I guess it was helpful in revealing how much you both secretly love each other. Ah, shit, Frisbee. Yeah, I guess it did kind of reveal that. AJ turns once more to the camera. This time, a small smirk turns in the corner of his mouth. Because sometimes, you don't need to hide anything when you're already laid down your cards. He turns back to his friends. Well, 
I'd like to help you, Frisbee, but I'm afraid all I can offer you is this cravat freeing you from your magical servitude. I mean, I, I'm closed for business out of respect for my son. Get turns to give rank and puppy dog eyes. Fine, Dad. You can attempt to build a razor empire out of our apartment, but conditions have to be humane and everyone has to be fairly paid. Uh, right, right, yes, 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 of course. Uh, how would you feel about a commission basis? Uh, for sharp objects, I'm thinking poorly trained college students going door to door. Eh? Reckon gives a look of disdain and credits roll with the potential of father-son business hijinks to follow in future episodes. Oh, we set that shit up right there. That's, uh, <laughs> that's gonna be real good. 22 episodes and a movie. Uh-huh, that's, uh, there's potential there, I think is what the network hotshots are gonna say. <laughs> All right. So uh, thanks for <laughs> reading that. Thank you for having me. That was so much fun. Oh, I think you added a lot to it. Do you have any notes, uh, keeping in mind that I have extremely thin skin? <laughs> I just felt it wasn't long enough. Oh. I need more. We need more. Yes. You think it could be... So that it, we could have like kind of a dramedy with this whole... <laughs> I mean, I think we should do 44 minutes. Like... Too, too long for a half hour, too short for an hour, and then just call it, you know, a, a comic drama. Uh, what do you What do you think about if we just uh, repeated the first twenty two minutes a second time, but we did it like as if we were sad? Does that have any value? <laughs> See, I mean, I like where you're going, but what if we redid the episode four times, each from the perspective of each of the characters? Ooh. But it turns out that everyone was there for everything important. Has <laughs> I, I want it to be from the perspective of each character, but it's really just a different camera angle, and we see all the same lines. Well, like, yeah, I assume the camera was just a POV. Right, or when it's someone who wasn't in the scene, it's just them staring at the street until it's their turn to talk from the original script. Yes, I want to do, they forgot to shoot it in widescreen. So you see the characters <laughs> standing on the edge of the screen waiting to make their entrance. That's what I want to see. Uh, all right. So my ne my next episode, uh, Steve Lesser, who you're familiar with. Yes, I'm a big fan. <laughs> is going to be the guest. Do you have anything in particular that you would like to see uh, Steve do as a character or as a person that you think I should work into his show? Hmm. Steve is one of the nicest people I know. Uh -huh. So I think it would be fun if maybe he gets to be ha have a villain moment of some Ooh. kind. Just a new duel. Yeah. A as as Steve or just like separate separate villain. Yeah, yeah I don't make Steve a villain. It, it's hard to make Steve a it villain. Is. It's yeah. I, that's a you know, the impressive thing about the office, one of them is like compared to Ricky Gervais who is such a natural villain. Mm -hmm. Steve Carell's ability to be like, oh, I guess he's a villain. True. Uh, and that's the way I feel about Steve Lesser, where like, yeah, I think he he can do a good job as comedic yeah. foil. So, yeah. Oh, that's a good challenge. This is evil twin moment. Ooh. Oh, maybe I'll just make it an evil twin. Mm -hmm. That's a plot point. That's a goddamn gold mine. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed uh, my ability to, whenever I get stuck, just uh, do just batshit absurd things. I, there was a couple of moments <laughs> where I, I thought that might be happening, mm -hmm. but I enjoyed the ride, so. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, do you have any projects coming up? I know we're still in a, a tough time of actually getting things going. Uh, not right now. 
I hope that uh, people follow the idiot box where mm-hmm. I do improv comedy. So good plug. when it's that good starts, starts going up again, that would be great. And people can follow me on Instagram to see my artwork at Rankin Willard. And it is like, you know, uh, the script here doesn't do justice, but I, I love your artwork. Well, <laughs> In you, addition to your comedy, that. you're a multi-talent, which we is why. have to have 12 jobs now. Yeah. That's how it works. It's, it's the creative, uh, creative economy. Yes. <laughs> Lack thereof, which is very paralleled in the Gilded Age. What? Yeah, I was trying not to think about the the parallels too much. Oh. <laughs> Impos- it was Maybe. a rough time that'll never happen again, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> if only someone would have a quote about history and what it does. Just should have elected Kimley right. when we had the chance. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. That wraps this episode up. Thanks for having me. Oh, bye, everybody.